guys, guys, welcome to Speak From Your Heart show, sponsored by JCLV21. Today, ooh, I'm so excited. Speak From Your Heart show is where we talk with powerful women who are shaking up the globe with spreading love, wholeness, and wellness. This show is created to be a living anthology of unsung female heroes that are currently writing history now. Not just people that we read about in our history books, but people that are living this dream and their healing journey now so that we can know more people like us that are going through some stuff, but we're able to overcome. This show is all about testimony of what we can do as one part of the human race, as being women. And I'm so freaking excited. (laughs) to meet victoria and to interview her um she oh my gosh she is a woman who has over 20 years of corporate executive and board director experience okay that's first of all she's currently the managing director at acuture as well as she does many other things she's an advocate too for the q plus community she's amazing just absolutely amazing So I'm going to let Victoria tell you just a little bit more about her and what does she currently do? Well, thanks for having me here. I'm really excited and I love the enthusiasm. Hopefully I can bring the same uh, to your listening audience today. So as you said, I'm a like 20 plus year executive. I followed my passion. I thought I was going to be a lawyer, but I fell into the business world while I was in college and loved it. Got recruited out when I was... 24 years old to be the chief operating officer for an outsourcing company. And then I stayed in that, you know, world of business to business professional services ever since Uh, moved in to become president by 35 uh, and a CEO by 41, super involved in the startup community, particularly female founded ventures. And as you mentioned, I've been involved in multiple boards, both not for profit and for profit boards. I'm an author, a keynote speaker. That's one of the things that brings me great joy is standing and sharing stories and knowledge with others. I'm a wife, a mother, a fitness fanatic, uh, and uh, passionate about many things, leadership, culture, diversity, inclusion, uh, you know, a foodie, um, love good wine, and uh, love living life. I love a lot of those things, too. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely do. I just, oh my God. Okay. So there's so much in just your introduction. There's just, there's so much. Okay. So COO at 24. So I just, my question first is how was your childhood that got you ready for a position of that magnitude? I gotta know. (laughs) Well, So one of the things I I share pretty openly is that I have a very, very difficult childhood uh, and it's informed and shaped who I am and how hard I've driven to achieve what I've achieved. I'm born to a drug addicted teenage mother who was extremely abusive to me. I came in and out of care multiple times and I am fortunate that I was adopted out of that situation into a loving home. But I also, that loving home didn't raise me significantly from a socioeconomic perspective. My dad was a school janitor. My mom was a secretary. 
And it's funny when I was maybe 11 years old, I remember my mom saying to me, Tori, which was my nickname growing up, she's like, you need to do better than us. And she meant socioeconomically, like go to college, get a better job, do better than us. And she never needed to say those words to me because I was determined that I was going to be better than my biology or the circumstance for which I had been raised in. And for me, work was one thing I could always control in terms of how I showed up, how I performed, the work ethic I put in. So I started working at age 11 in a hair salon, you know, cleaning up the floors and doing laundry and making appointments and doing the cash. And by 14, I had become the assistant manager at the shoe store that I worked at. By 16, I graduated high school at 16, uh, and I worked multiple jobs, including managing uh, at a number of medical facilities and making sure all the doctors got paid. To when my first year of university, I worked for a bank uh, and in their contact center, and within six months, I was moved into a leadership role. And my ability to show up, to deliver, to perform, to learn, to be more relevant and experienced in that and then ultimately start to lead people is what got me noticed and got me recruited out of the bank that I then had worked at for a number of years to be COO. Wow. Just give me one second. Just give me one second. I just, my God, (laughs) that's amazing. (sighs) Okay. So, now I have a question for you. What did you have to do to unpack and reparent yourself so that you could be ready for leadership? I, I'll i tell you, I think I made some mistakes early on and it, it was a combination of, uh, you know, a very big stretch role for me. You know, I'd been leading operations and now I stepped into a role where I led every functional area of the organization uh, and I needed to get lean into my like discomfort. One, two, when I stepped into that role, I was at least two decades younger than my colleagues sitting around the boardroom table. I was the only woman uh, at the table and part of the LGBT community. So I felt like I was the only period. And given my early years, it created a bit of um, insecurity and fear for me of being rejected. And so given I was all of these things and wasn't sure I really belonged there and this these sort of barriers and these walls I had, where I fell down was I showed up in a, with, I'm going to say a mask on in a way in which I thought I needed to appear, you know? So, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of fake it till you make it except for confidence. So I, I did always appear to be confident, even though I didn't always have that one, but two, I never would have shown significant emotion or vulnerability because again, you know, significantly fearful. And so at one point I learned that my nickname had become the Iron Maiden. And I wasn't sure whether I was like, should be proud of that or insulted, but really what it meant, I've been through 18 mergers and acquisitions in my professional career, let alone the ones I've supported up clients with. And so I'm usually at the heart of the transformation, the integration, making organizational, you know, uh, change and decisions. And as painful as it was for me, I never showed that. So where I needed to learn how to do better and different was to look at the woman that stood in front of the mirror and say, like, this isn't, I wouldn't follow her into battle, right? Like, this is not the type of leader I would want to work for. So what do I need to do to think differently, to model the actions, language, and behavior 
of the kind of leader I would want to work for. And it it was uncomfortable um, because uh, of all of the baggage I came with. But over time, uh, consistently showing up in a very different way, being really committed to building authentic relationships, sharing my lived experience, understanding others, built this great rapport and relationship and ultimately trust with my team to be able to lead more effectively. The question that I have for you, because you're just so amazing, is that you, we mentioned both that you are part of the Q plus community and there are a lot of women who are, have experienced the coming out and then they, they continue having to come out to friends and family and that can be a little jarring. So my question to you is, what was your first experience like coming out? And then do you have to continually make a declaration everywhere that you go and on all your relationships? So I came out at um, age 14 as bisexual um, in a Catholic high school in a pretty small town uh, where there didn't appear to be a really large queer community. It's certainly one I wasn't aware of at that point. And it wasn't until I moved to a much larger city cross country and, you know, had more gay friends that I got much more exposure to it. And uh, so that initial coming out wasn't, and declaration wasn't, I'll say an issue. And uh, although I don't, I don't think I told my, my parents until I was probably in my twenties, but what I found was there's a coming out as bisexual. And I vacillated over the years between am I, am I bi, am I a lesbian? And um, and then until I just got comfortable in my skin. And so there was a coming out within the queer community, whereas this is sad, but bisexuality seems to be lower on the totem pole, right? The gay man sits at the top and lesbian and trans. And, and I remember having fights with even one of my first girlfriends uh, in that, you know, you, you're not you're just afraid to fully come out of the closet if you're bisexual or you're, you're, you're somewhere different on the, on the spectrum. So th that was one. And so it took some time to get comfortable with what that looked like. Uh, constantly coming up for sure. I am very feminine presenting. And so there are assumptions made all of the time about what that means around my sexuality. I was married to a woman for 11 years before I am now married to my husband or together with him for nine. And I lead a lot of our employee resource groups um, and have for decades uh, around LGBT. And so I'm constantly having to come out and explain what that looks like and explain to people, talk to me what, a, you know, it's about to be bi or I prefer queer actually, just because my daughter tells me I should say I'm pansexual because I'm open to just humans. And I'm like, I'm not a big fan of labels. You know, I'm just not straight. Uh, you know, quite frankly. So it's coming out consistently, but I'm, because of my advocacy uh, for, you know, DE&I and for the LGBT community, I readily do it consistently. So on World Coming Out Day, which was just last week, I made a point of retelling my story publicly on social. Here's what I went through. And I do that so others can recognize, one, I have great privilege. I actually had parents who were really supportive and I also was born in North America, where generally more supported than certainly in other countries around the world. And so I'm an executive and I'm queer and I can achieve all of this. And by the way, I had two children through artificial insemination with my wife. Like all these things are possible. And so I come out every day to help others. I will say I can't skate by you said artificial insemination. So my question for you is that there are people going through that now and they're experiencing a really tough time. Um, what can you say to them about that process with their partner? 
So, um, you know, being that I, I never, first of all, had a biological family around me, it was very important. I wanted a blood connection. So there was no doubt, one, that I wanted children, and two, I wanted to have this blood connection. So it was really important to me. And my my ex-wife and partner was super supportive. She'd actually been married to a man before and already had had a daughter. So step, I became a stepmom, but that still wasn't f- you know, fulfilling in terms of what I, I wanted with, you know, my own biological children. So we went through the process of initially, my my son, my older of my two children, uh, is actually a known donor to us. But trying to find someone that we knew and trusted and therefore, you know, understand more about their history, but didn't want to be an active parent, that was a challenge. And so there were some of our close friends who said, and I'm glad they did, they acknowledged, acknowledged that it would be very difficult for them. And so they said no. Um, but we did find someone, maybe not a close friend, who donated, which was great. But then when we wanted to have a second, he'd moved out of the city. And so it wasn't an option anymore. So then we went to, you know, an anonymous sperm bank and it's like online dating for um, sperm, kind of an odd experience. And and it feels, it feels a bit superficial because, you know, you're either looking for, do you want them to look, look like you or is this this idealized version, et cetera. And my ex-wife was Portuguese and there were two donors we came down to. One who was very similar to our initial donor. So I thought they'd look more alike. Um, and one was Portuguese. And that was very meaningful for her um, to have, you know, her her ethnicity, you know, represented. So my 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 son's super blonde and fair and looks like me. And my daughter's got this amazing, I'm jealous of her, like, beautiful, more tan skin, you know, brunette hair, but has the curls like me. And um, I, again, I was really lucky. Our doctor had supported us with that. We had great friends around us who did. But you talked about coming out. I constantly had to, like, explain now that we have children. Oh, you know, good thing I am not shy in the least because I told this story far too many times. And in fact, it, it made... Um, made the the newspaper headlines in the city I was living in at the time. So everyone knew. This show is brought to you by JCLV21. JCLV21 is a coaching company that was created to help women business owners, podcasters, and entrepreneurs build the foundation for their business or their podcast. With automation, structure, marketing, hiring, and mentorship, JCLV21 provides you with what you need to be successful for your business, your podcast, and your life. They believe that everyone deserves to shine in their divine. Head over to jclv21.com to book a call or text the word book to 702-334-8470 to schedule a free consultation today. Now let's head back to the interview. My God, and I have a question for you because with this new with all the new laws especially in the united states i'm just going to ask you one quick question what state were you in so you might hear a tiny bit of an accent i'm actually originally from canada uh and so at the time so i've lived between toronto and new york my entire life until i moved to miami just like a year and a half ago because with covid well i could and so i i was fortunate enough to be in canada at the time in toronto which is further ahead than the U.S. Um, I thought the U.S. was catching up. We're seeing it slipping back quite a bit. Uh, so, I, uh, I mean, the procedure, I think I we paid probably for this sperm, but the actual procedure was covered um, under our healthcare 
So really, really fortunate there. And actually, I put my ex-wife's name on the birth certificate for both children. So she was listed as the other, as the other parent. So I didn't have to go through a formal adoption process, et cetera. So again, we were much more fortunate um, and recognize that's one of the great things. I'm, you know, permanent resident here in the U.S., but I'm still a proud Canadian for some of the reasons like that. I love that you have dual citizenship. And then two is that another country is more progressive than what we're currently seeing with all these different legislation laws and overturns in the United States. So it makes me so happy to hear that you and your ex-partner got to have children in a more of an easy way and not a upward, not the kindest hard battle that people are experiencing in the United States. It just, it makes me very happy that you guys have that. So happy. Um, so now I want to progress a little bit. You said that you mo have moved now to being a partner with a man. My question is the individuals that you know within your community, did they have a negative reaction to that? Uh, so I made a decision to leave my ex-wife. As I said, we were together for 11 years. Uh, and in, in part, because I, I met her, I was 22 and she was 35. And so 11 years later, I had grown substantially as an individual. And, um, my decision to leave was because I just felt I, I, it's one of those cases, it's not you, it's me. And in this case, it, I, I truly think it was that. And shortly afterwards I started dating, I would dated a man. And so I will tell you, our friend community reeled from it uh in in part thinking maybe that that's why i chose to leave my marriage and that was not the case in fact i stayed for two years longer because of my commitment to our children and our family and so i needed to explain you know consistently why did i make a decision to leave my marriage and and many people made assumptions that i was a lesbian and so oh does this mean you've switched and you've gone back and i'm like well no like many of my partners before her were men so it, it's not that at all and um, now, again, there's this this assumption all the time that I'm straight. As I said, I'm very feminine presenting. And so they'll just assume that I'm a straight woman. And so it makes sense when I talk about having a husband. But again, it's important for me. And just, you know, I have a queer daughter who's now even gender questioning. Uh, and e even for, for her to be out there consistently sharing a message that there's, you know, you know m multitude of, um, of places to sit on the spectrum. And by the way, that can change over time. Uh, and so I don't have any issues now as I talk about my husband, but more so questions when I talk about my prior um, marriage. I, I still love you. Like that, none of this is going to change anything. And I just, oh my gosh. So you've learned a lot over time. So much, your interpersonal communication, um, going from a woman partner to a male partner, and they are different when it comes to communication styles. I'm almost positive that they are. So my question is, did you going into leadership actually help you with your communication style? My relationships with my partners, you mean? Yeah. Um, I... Uh, because you said that you were constantly learning all the time. And so I was thinking maybe because you were learning things about leadership and different things like that, that you learned something that helped you with your 
your actual partnerships? I, I think with my my ex wife, um, I think I learned to to trust because I was in a trusting relationship and with someone who supported me fully, um, including my career. I'd say she bore a significant portion of the the household and child rearing. I traveled extensively and worked very long hours. So that ability to trust what it meant to be in this relationship and not be as fearful of rejection, I learned from her. And then my husband, when we got married, he we, we wrote our own vows. And in fact, in his, he said he would be the patience to my impatience. Uh, and so I've learned... Um, you know, to come together in a very different way in terms of how we communicate. And we're now a very good blend. I think we've, you know, come closer to the middle from each of our different styles. And so being really respectful of that, and again, unique differences of individuals in terms of how we show up and listen to one another and ultimately communicate. Um, he's helped improve that substantially. I am so for it. I love that you learn trust and then you learn you might be a little impatient, but I'll balance you out. That was a, that awesome line. Awesome bar. Okay. <laughs> for, this, for the vow. Um, I, I absolutely adore it. So my question to you and the answer could just blatantly be no, is that are you going to try to have any other kids? Are you maxed out at two? <laughs> Well, so when I met my husband, I was 37 uh, and he's five years older than me and he had never been married and had no children. So I did ask him if it would was important for him to have his own biological children. And he said, no, he'd actually never really thought that he would. And so it wasn't something that was on the agenda for him. My daughter was so hoping we would, she would have a younger sibling. Um, and so no, now I am 46 years old. Um, and although physically possible, I am not starting that all over again. I love the honest answer. And I love <laughs> that you guys did talk about it because a lot of um, people that get into relationships, they generally don't talk about, are we going to have kids? Are we not going to have kids? Because this is something that can literally sometimes make or break someone in a relationship because they're looking for something that they may never get so having that conversation at the very beginning is very helpful to build what you guys are looking to build for your guys's family and i love it i absolutely adore it so my question now is that you said you were president by 35 ceo by 41 and now you are a i think i'm not a director, if I'm a managing director, if I'm not mistaken. Managing so, director at Accenture. Yeah. What is, this is legitimately just me. What's the difference between um, chief operating officer, so CEO versus president versus chief executive officer versus CEO? So they're, they mean different things in different companies. I'll tell you that I found, um, you know, often there's an overtitling that happens, particularly in the U.S., and so a chief operating officer is generally accountable for the operations of an organization. So, you know, there's a sales team that's out there selling new business. And then once it comes through the door, the ability to deliver whatever products or services that that company sells. And then sometimes other pieces roll into that. So in my case, I happen to have 
HR and technology. I had sales. I, I kind of led everything except for finance. President usually is a complete general manager. All functional areas of an organization would report directly to the individual, whether it's for president of a division, a market, um, or a whole business. Uh, and similar to, to, to CEO. So president and CEO is uh, often somewhat synonymous. Uh, after I sold the business where I was CEO of, I went back into professional services and working for others and have had various titles there. I mean, at, at, at Accenture, managing director is an executive title. Uh, and it really depends on what you're a managing director of, I happen to lead a large industry portfolio end to end for them, but it can mean many things. Running a small, pra like a practice of individuals that are subject matter experts in one thing, it could be running a market, etc. Thank you so much for explaining the difference because when I hear these titles, I always have question. I was like, is it the exact same thing? Is it different? Because I know when we're thinking about an organizational chart. I know, generally speaking, that they generally sit in a different area, such as the CEO will report to the CEO um, kind of thing. Is that what you have found? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when I was sat in the, you know, COO, so with the C-suite roles, whether it's a COO, CFO, um, CHRO does report to the CEO. Um, and a president can as well, depending on the company. So again, it's similar to a C-suite role. And depending on the size of the organization, it could be the most senior role or it could report to a CEO. Okay. I thank you for breaking that business part down. So if, if for listeners listening in, CFO is Chief Financial Officer, CHRO is Chief, if I'm not mistaken, Human Resources Officer, and then that you guys should now know everything synonymous means that it's also known by as this. It can be an AKA for just breaking down some of the words just in case you were listening in and you don't know what's going on. I'm going to help you really fast. I'll be your little translate. And that's okay because I love how she's talking. So now I have a question for you when it comes to what are some key elements to your personal brand? Is it the fun? Is it the fitness? Is it the um, being part of the Q plus? I say Q plus because it's LGBTQIA plus. And that is a mouthful, which is why I keep saying Q plus just so you know. And just so the listeners know, it is not to diminish all the other letters in the alphabet. It is not. It is to make sure that I can make sure I can get on to the next point. <laughs> so I am, I'm actually, um, I spent a lot of time coaching and speaking around personal brand. And that's because many individuals and companies focus on the job title or the functional work that someone does as it relates to who they are. But we are so much more than that. Personal brand is what makes you unique. It's your own individual, the value proposition and when we think about the differentiation versus, so you think in, in, in my business, we have lots of, you know, strategy consultants or technology people, but when a company is choosing us versus our competitor, 
ultimately will come down to the individuals and why would they choose to go with this consultant A versus B? And for me, that's uh, that's about your brand. And so my brand consists of, yeah, I, I am a corporate executive. I'm the turnaround queen having been, I take distressed businesses and go through significant transformation. I'm an author, I'm a, a board director, I'm a keynote speaker. But those are all a lot of the elements of what I do or how I earn money, but that's not who I am as an individual. So for me, my brand also consists of being maniacally focused around building strong leadership teams and growing leaders and organizations around focusing on the right kind of culture and environment that we would all want to work within and making decisions to exit companies that aren't aligned to that. I'm focused on purpose-led um, organizations and having high impact and delivering value in the work that I do. The work that I do around diversity, equity, and inclusion. One of the boards I sat on was the child protective services equivalent in Canada because I'm a child from care. So I want to give back to the community. I'm committed to lifting and raising others. So part of my brand is also being involved in the startup community and very focused on female founders. Those are all elements of who I am. And I want people to know, you know, as my brand, again, more than the fact that I'm a managing director at Accenture. That's where I'm at right now. I'm in just in the claps. Okay. But I can't do it because I'm also interviewing at the exact same time. So this makes it kind of hard. So <laughs> it just is what it is right now. You are, you're phenomenal. You are absolutely phenomenal from your start to your current. I love that you are able and you're willing to even go back and help other people out too. That speaks very highly of you because that also means, at least to me, that when you do that, you're experiencing true joy because you're giving back to something that you've always wanted to give back to. Am I wrong for saying that? No, you're absolutely right. I think that's part of the reason why a lot of my time I spend being interviewed, whether it's for podcasts like yourself or I'm on media and I love doing the public speaking work that I do. That is what brings, and I use the word joy, that is what brings me joy when I see that people when they connect that we might have some similar shared lived experience, they can see that I've made a choice to rise above a lot of the adversity. And I can share with them some of the both personal and professional life lessons that I wish my 20 year old self knew to save them maybe some of the pain. That is what brings me joy. That's about having the kind of lasting impact and value on the community and the world at large that I want to have. I love it. I I love meeting heroes. I love meeting fellow heroes. It's absolutely amazing. And I have a question for you. So you're COO, you're in your 20s. I got to ask you, how are you, is your financial life? Because <laughs> me at 24, I was very structured, but also reckless at the exact same time. And generally speaking, when people hear COO, they think it's a, a bucket amount of money. So my question to you is, was it a bucket amount of money? And if it was, how did you manage it or did you not manage it or did you hire someone? So um, 
so yes, senior executives generally do well. Uh, and so, I mean, it, it was a six figure salary 20 something years ago, although it was in the world of outsourcing and many companies outsource portions of their business to save money. So knowing that it wouldn't have been as competitive as a COO at a bank, for example, but yes, it was good money, but I, I, I come from none of it. Um, and I've always worked multiple jobs. I've had side hustles on the side. Um, and that's just, it's, it's kind of in my DNA. Uh, I will tell you, there was a moment where I felt almost embarrassed after my mom passed away. I flew my dad out to my home where I had a large home with my ex-wife and I had a live-in nanny and where I felt um, he should have just been proud. There was a, an, a, a portion of me that felt un uncomfortable with what I had achieved. So I'll say that, number one. Number two is um, money can be re-earned. So although I had a seven-figure net worth when I separated from my ex, I left her everything in our divorce. She passed away from cancer a number of years ago, her second round of cancer. The first time was when I was pregnant with my daughter, seven weeks pregnant, we found out. And so I, we found out her cancer had come back a few months after we separated. And uh, so she wanted to keep our house. We had a second home, a cottage. All I left with was my treadmill. Again, I'm a fitness fanatic, the clothes on my back and my vehicle. And after a period of time, she um, came up with $80,000 to buy me out of both properties by having her mother refinance her home. So I started all over again at age 33 with only $80,000. And that wasn't for lack of management. I felt it was the right thing to do. She was 13 years older than me. She had cancer return. And I was the primary earner in the family. And I was healthy and had a, what I believed is a, a long runway. So I started all over again. My God. I just, I'm a, I, I just, one second. I'm at a loss for words right now. You're absolutely phenomenal. And your heart is so beautiful and I see it and I feel it and it feels so good so I just I love all the love I love all the thought process through and so my question is this is that after all of these things that have happened in your life what would you name our is your top 10 successes outside of your career uh, outside my career, my children, um, they, um, I mean, they're not full, they're 18 and 22, so they're not, you know, launched in their own careers, but they are good humans with great hearts. That's what I hope to instill upon them. And I see that in them taking the bold move of, um, leaving my ex-wife was moments I felt selfish because I knew I wasn't happy and fulfilled in that relationship anymore. And it was painful. I, I said earlier, I stayed for, I knew two years prior I was going to leave. And I'm like, no, I can't do this to my family. I'm going to stay. I'm going to recommit. I'm going to try and make this work. But ultimately that move and leaving a secure relationship, loving relationship for the most part um, to do and teach my children. I hope they I'm not even sure they're fully there. I think it's going to, it's probably not until their thirties, they're going to recognize what I did, you know, breaking up our family and divorce. Um, but I, that was a bold move. That was the right thing for me personally, in terms of my own level of growth. So I am extremely 
proud of that. I'm also proud that at some point I became unafraid and unapologetic of being, you know, my authentic self and sharing the story publicly uh, to help others. So those would be some of the one the things that I'm most proud of that has nothing to do with my work. You should be very proud of those things. And you already know what I'm about to do. I had to give you a round of applause for all of the hard work that you've had to do because it wasn't just one thing. It wasn't just two things. It was multiple things. And you continue to have the strength. And I have one more, actually two more questions for you. And then we're going to wrap up. And that is when it got so difficult and you got to that dark place, because we all eventually get to the dark place. What helped you bring you out of it? Because you've, exper- you've experienced a lot with your mom and your dad alone. Then you being now evolved at, but with a Q plus community. Now you're also in leadership. I know that you've had to have a dark time and you still were able to rise above that dark time. I, I mean, my personal mantra and philosophy and I sign off social media posts with two things, unstoppable and no excuses. Uh, and that's because I believe we have choice in terms of how we choose to respond to the adversity and the circumstance that comes our way. And I think I might've shared earlier, I, I wasn't, I probably wasn't always super healthy about that, this fear of rejection um, and loss. I created a bit of walls and boundaries around myself, but I learned to have a significantly healthier level of resilience. And by doing four things. So the first is be really clear on the goals and objectives I want, you know, making them as lofty potentially as I want or not. The next is being incredibly self-reflective and understanding why I feel the way I do, um, act the way I do. And then the next step would be modeling the kinds of thought, actions, language, behavior that I want to be like or do differently. And then the, the last step in that is giving myself permission to fail because we're all far from perfect and stuff's going to happen. And so then when we go through that, when we fail, sit back up again and go back to number one. Where did I want to go? What are the goals and objectives I had? And so that's the approach I take to my life, the choice I have in terms of how I choose to respond and where I want to go. Phenomenal. You are phenomenal. Oh, my gravies. You are phenomenal. Okay. Oh, my gravies. Uh, Bringing back that old term. Um, (laughs) So my last um, question is this. It it is simply, what is one thing that you want to leave the listeners besides higher story? Um, For your listeners, I mean, you are the CEO of brand you, you incorporated. And so therefore, do not let anyone tell you, limit how far you want to go. Or as narrow, by the way, it's great to create boundaries as well and not to let anyone let you feel guilty for those choices that work for you. And so as you move forward into this world, into your own unstoppable life, you know, focus on building your brand that's more than a title, 
continuing to build your skills, developing this healthy level of resilience and surrounding you with a tribe that not only will call you out on your BS and force you to be reflective, but also are going to be there to support you. You guys heard it here first. You guys heard her all her messages and her bars. If you are a mother listening to this or you're a father listening to this, please have your child listen to this particular interview, especially if they have any similarities to her story at all. Have them listen, because when we share our stories, we're giving encouragement, not just to one another, but to our future generations, too, which is why this show is where it is. And this is why I created the show is because there are so many heroes that are among us that we don't even realize that they have gone through the hero's journey. And they're finally at the place where they are living with their superpower and they are shaping the world into a place of love, of wholeness and of complete joy. And it's been such an amazing honor to interview you. And people need to know where to find you because you can't just be giving me all this amazingness and we can't find you. So please help me out with this. Where can people find you? Well, um, I, I told you I do a lot of work around personal brands. If you Google me, I'm probably like most of the first 10 pages that come up. But I do have two great places to find me, a personal website, which is victoria-peltier.com. Or for those in the focus on the business community, you can find me on LinkedIn pretty easily. Can you spell your name for those listening in? Victoria, traditional spelling of Victoria. Peltier is the hard one. Thank the French Canadian um, husband for that last name. P-E-L-L-E-T-I-E-R. Thank you so much. It was that part for the listeners. And just so you guys know, her website is Victoria- and then it's her last name.com. Please know that she is an in-demand speaker on a variety of different types of businesses and as well as the culture, motivational topics. Just head over to her website, book her, okay? Talk to her. Have further dialogue with her because if her story resonates with you, reach out to her. Let her know that her story resonated with you. I think she'll like to be able to get those messages saying, just thank you for telling your story. So message her. Don't be a stranger to that. And also, oh my gosh, you have a book out. Can you tell me about your book really fast? I do. It's called Unstoppable. Uh (laughs) Oh, I told Temple. you my mantra. You can <laughs> find it on Amazon. It's also on my website. I absolutely love it. Check out her stuff. Head over to her website. Look at her articles. Look, listen to her speaking engagements and where she actually goes to a bunch of them. Just search her. She's findable. Just search her. I just want to thank you, Victoria, for being on this show and giving us your story as to how you continually stay a hero in this world where we don't think that superheroes exist. I know they exist. They're each one of us. And I'm so thankful that you came to the show and allowed me to interview you to hear your hero's journey. So thank you so very much. Thanks for having me. Outro! Thank you for listening to this episode of Speak From Your Heart Show. Remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or 
or your favorite podcast streaming platform. Be sure to give us a follow or DM us on Instagram at Speak From Your Heart Show, your takeaways and thoughts on this episode. That's all for this show. Until next time, see you.